0: Good morning, uh-huh, I'm, on. I'm Warren Brown. Um, I'm going to start by telling a story. Uh, sometime in the 1970s, somewhere way back, I was at a scientific neuroscience meeting in Monterey. And I was sitting in there in the meeting, and a, the speaker Put up an MRI of a human brain. That, now that is an MRI of my brain, so ostensibly normal, <laughs> normal brain. But I sat there in the meeting. I had no context for this. I had. I guess I'd missed reading all the sciences coming up to this and. So, I'm sitting in there meeting, and I had the hardest time getting my mind around the fact that that was the, an image of the brain of a living person. Because everything that was available up to that time was uh, stuff from autopsies of people who were dead. And so, here, and so I'm just sitting there looking at that thinking. I can't quite get my mind around the fact that you're looking at the structures of the brain inside of a living person. And I was kind of stunned and uh, speechless. Fortunately, nobody called on me to talk at that moment, so I could sit there and just be kind of stunned. Well, I kind of had that experience when Josh calls me and asks me to talk about uh, the miracle of Jesus walking on the water. We're working through the seven signs in John, and the fifth sign we are at now, and that's the passage of Jesus walking on the water. And so I said, yeah, okay, I'll do that fine. And so I began to think about it, and nothing comes to mind. And I thought for a few more days, and nothing comes to mind. And it suddenly dawned on me that that is in some way the nature of these miracles. They leave us speechless. What do you say in the presence of these miracles that adds anything, that is adequate for these events? We are sort of rightfully speechless. So let's read this passage. Um, I'm dealing with a little bit of cold, so it might help for somebody else to read for me. So can I have two people? You, you Yeah, go ahead. Keep riding going. You're doing good.
1: The next day-
0: deal mostly with that part. So there's something about miracles, particularly this miracle, that leaves us speechless. That is, what can you say about this that is adequate or adds anything or can't say anything easy, can't say anything glib or common or trivial? Um, Not only that, the words that we have are Um, inadequate. The word categories, even the word miracle is a word that has become kind of degraded in the English language. We use the word miracle for a lot of things that aren't exactly miraculous, at least not in this sense. So that word doesn't quite capture what we're um, reading about in this passage. Um, And we're also sort of speechless and at least I was, in looking at this in that sort of the event speaks for itself. So what, what more is there to say about Jesus walking on the water and, and uh, encountering the disciples out on the rough sea and getting in the boat? I mean, that's, that speaks for itself. There's not much more that can be said about that in some respects. So I thought a little bit a while about speechlessness. And what is it about miracles that makes us speechless, particularly these kind of? Speechless in the sense that it's hard to know what more to say, and it's hard to know how to adequately describe these things. Uh, For one thing, uh, these um, miracles kind of deeply violate our ordinary understandings of the world. Um, reading about Jesus walking in water is sort of like the experiencing of media coverage of catastrophic events in the world, like the uh, tsunami at Palau, the uh, Hurricane Michael, and the news recently on that. And you see these things on the news. And it's so far away from our common experience in the world that it's really kind of hard to get our mind around what that is like and what, what it would be to experience that. So for one thing, they, they just are way out of our common experience. Uh, we live our life out of expectancies that things are going to be a certain way and things will happen in a certain way which is actually a very good thing. So we have our expectancies of the ordinary and how things happen and what's going to happen and that's a very sort of adaptive and a good way to live. But then we encounter things like this that are so out of the ordinary it's very difficult to have ordinary to to meet those with our ordinary experiences and our ordinary vocabulary and our ordinary language. So Jesus walking on the water is something that we just can't meet out of the, in, in the context of our ordinary lives. Uh, and they violate our expectancies in ways that kind of make it feel out of control. That if I go there in my mind, where I'm going, it's into chaos, really. Things are out of control, and that makes me nervous, and that makes me frightened. So the disciples, when they see Jesus walking on the water, they're afraid. They're afraid because of, of the storm. They're in a bit of a storm, as we learned from the other people who described this, but they're also afraid of this person walking on the water with them. They're just so out of the ordinary, so un uh unrelated to anything they've experienced in the past. That it just, it's frightening and it's, things are out of control and the way I understand the world is no longer sort of tightly understood. And so that just makes me nervous. And I'll I'll admit that in my life when people talk about certain kind of miracles, sometimes I react that way. It's like uh, that makes me a little nervous to hear about that, or I'm not sure I want to, to think about it that way. I mean, there must be some other explanation here or something like that. But it does, it just it kind of moves us into this area in which we don't have a good understanding of that, and it makes us nervous, and it's things seem sort of out of control, and it's just very hard to figure out how we relate that to our ordinary experience and talk about it. Um uh, even though this leaves us speechless, I'm talking a lot here, but you know. Uh, so Jesus walking on the water and, and all of the other seven signs in John suggest that something extraordinary is happening that is totally outside of our, not, totally outside of our world of experience and uh, anything that we can imagine, and raises the question, basically, is this God? Or this must be God, because it's so far out of anything that I can experience. There's another reason that this makes me and many of the people I'm around and probably Phil a little bit speechless is that it uh, violates our scientific understanding of the world. Right, Phil? That these miracles are they're just right, you know. If you work in science at all, you work in a system that is basically a closed system where all the causes of and effects can be understood within that system. And you get to miracles, and you're talking about things that do not, cannot be absorbed into that worldview, that understanding of life. Uh, There is a group currently for whom the possibility of, of miracles is so disturbing that they must actively counter any belief in miracles or any belief in God. There's a group called the New Atheists. And the New Atheists have decided that it's not okay to just tolerate religion or to kind of let religion be over there and we'll just kind of discount it. But in fact, religiousness and miracles and these sorts of things have to be actively and aggressively and radically countered. We've got to say you know, publicly and as loudly as we can, this can't be true, this is a bad way to understand the world. So some of the people that you may have heard of before, Sam Harris wrote a book called The End of Faith, Uh, Richard Dawkins, a book called The God Delusion. Uh, Daniel Dennett, Darwin's Dangerous Idea. And uh, Christopher Hitchens, God is Not Great. There you go. These people are called the new atheists. That's only four of them. And the the idea is this worldview where miracles are possible, is so outside of anything that we can accept that we not we can't any longer just kind of let it be. We have to actively uh, engage it and counter it. Uh, they are okay, you know. Probably some of them with Jesus being a teacher and a philosopher or whatever. But anything beyond that with respect to miracles and the presence of God in the world is just uh, not true, and not only not true, it's a dangerous idea, and we've got to encounter it. And so, working in a world of, of uh, science, I mean, I, I study people with a, a brain disorder, and uh, I'm interested in how that brain disorder sort of consistently turns up in various kinds of behaviors and cognitive and social things. And so I'm interested in sort of lawful relationships between brain functioning and outcomes in behavior and cognition. And that that is a, a presupposition that there, in fact, is lawful relationships between the physical nature of ourselves as physical beings and the outcome in our cognition and social behavior. But working in that area, of course, you know that this is not all that, that lawful. You can find consistent relationships. And so it moves on as a science. But people are people and they have different environments and they have different families and whatever. And there's all kinds of loose ends in this research. So you get consistent things happening, but they're not, all the variance isn't explained. That's how a scientist would say it. But we want to explain all the variants. We want to explain everything. We want to get it all lawfully understood so that if we just knew enough, we would know that these kind of of preconditioned causes lead to these kinds of outcomes in, in all this closed system that is the world. But miracles stick in the scientific craw. You just can't swallow them. As a scientist, and so you have to step away from science just a little bit, too, or think differently about your science, in order to to absorb miracles into your understanding. So, Jesus walking on the water—in Jesus walking in the water—we see that uh, we are not in a closed system, but one that is open to the wonders of God. Uh, that leaves our sort of scientific rationality somewhat speechless in the face of these miracles. Uh, N.T. Wright, in his commentary on John, writes this, basically this problem. There is no way of rationalizing it. You either come to the text with a view of what is and what isn't possible, or you come with at least an open mind to new possibilities hitherto unimaginable. And so I think the miracles, in some sense, keep pushing us towards coming to life with the openness of the possibilities of things that are unimaginable. If God is in fact present, then things that we cannot imagine are actually possible. So, speechlessness or not, of course, we all have lots of things to say. I always have lots of things to say about everything. Uh, let's, I want to talk a minute about what this miracle, once we kind of Get back from it enough to sort of talk about it a little. What it might mean? What are the meaning in this miracle? Uh, One is that uh, it is uh, a sign of the presence of God in Jesus. That this could, when you look at these miracles and see what's happening, you come to the conclusion it's outside of the closed system. Therefore, it can only be God. This is a sign that God is present, and God is present in a, a particular uh, uh, way at this time. There are, they are somewhat spectacular demonstrations of the presence of God. Um, this, a supernatural display in some sense. But it's, it's more than that. It's also a symbol of important meanings to Israel. So Jesus walking on the water is a linkage to God's work with Israel in the past. It symbolizes some things that they would know and have understood from the past. What is happening now is like what was happening back in the history of Israel. Uh, so specifically in this story, Jesus walking on the water is linked to previous events when God dealt with the chaos of the waters, such as in creation, God separates the land from the waters, the chaos from the order. And then in Noah, God provides an a escape or a way through the chaos of the floods for Noah. And particularly in Moses, and the children of Israel, God parts the Red Sea, and God parts the River Jordan. The water is always a symbol of the chaos God provides a way through. So in the story of Jesus walking on the water and the, and the, um, the disciples out there in the boat dealing with the storm and the chaos, this would be a, a clear link to uh, God's work in the past in the life of Israel. This is a symbol of the things. That, and even more so given what came before this. So in all of the gospels where this is described, what immediately precedes it is God is Jesus feeding the 5,000. And when Jesus feeds the 5,000, as John tells it, that, that's a linkage to the people is that, oh, this is like Moses. This is like the manna in the desert. So we now have a prophet like Moses which is kind of understood politically by them, but nevertheless, they kind of got the right message in one sense. So the feeding of the 5,000 and then Jesus walking on the water, this is all linked right in with all the stories of Israel. And so God is now present like he was present in the past. Um, it's a pointer or a reminder or an enacted symbol of The important events in the life of Israel. The uh, listeners to the story of Jesus walking on the water would have made all of these, picked up all the symbols symbol of the bread, the manna, symbol of water, they would have gotten all of that. There is, but I I think it's more than that. I think these are also redemptive or salvation stories in themselves. That uh, they are accounts of God's power in Jesus coming to save particular people or to redeem particular people at this time. Uh, They are current events even though they symbolize historical events. So in each of the seven signs, this is not just a display of power, uh, and it's not just a sign that Jesus is linked to the past, but in each of the, these seven signs, there is a story about God's rescue of particular people in particular ways. So uh, if you look at the seven, those are the seven signs that we've been dealing with. We're up to number five now. But turning the water into wine, healing the royal official son at a distance, healing the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda, feeding of the 5,000, then Jesus walking on the water, then healing the man born blind, which we'll talk about soon, and raising Lazarus from the dead. And in each case, there is some meeting of human need. Uh, The family wanting to celebrate a wedding and confronted with a possibility of the shame of running out of wine. Uh, The the official son who is sick and comes to Jesus hoping for some help the paralyzed man who can't quite get into the pool to re- receive healing, a lot of hungry people, uh, the disciples out in the boat dealing with a storm, uh, another blind man, another disabled person, a blind man, this time not only blind, but his family suffering from the stigma of having a son that is blind and the, the possible blame on them as a family and then the family distraught from the death death of their loved one. Uh, So in all of these stories, the miracles are miracles dealing with things that are present in the lives of people that are needs that need to be met. They're not just big displays, and they're not just signs. So they're, they're actually consistent with Jesus' ministry. And the, what he said, uh, as, in, uh, as uh, described in Luke, he, he goes to the synagogue, and he asks for the scroll of Isaiah. And he opens Isaiah, and he reads this, these words. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has, sent, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So these miracles are all consistent with and part of and, and, and nested in this kind of a calling and this kind of a, of a life that is um, lived towards um, people in need. God's presence coming in miraculous ways but miraculous ways to meet the needs of people uh, in need. So the last thing I thought about with respect to this was the the, um, statement that we'll maybe encounter later in John, in John 14. Uh, Jesus says in John 14, very truly I tell you, let's see, do I, I think I have? Now, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, that does make me speechless. I mean, really? Certainly not me as an individual person, but could that be true of the church? Could that be true of mountainside in some way? The greater things than Jesus did is possible for us to do as mountainside in the presence of God's Spirit with us. Uh, you know, how do such miraculous things get done by people like us? Um, And in thinking about that, I think about in the church, adding together diverse gifts, a lot of different things people do, contributions big and small. Any particular thing we do, we get some people make big contributions, some people make small contributions, but they all kind of add together, contributions big and small, and persisting over a long period of time. There's a certain amount of persistence in this work by people of diverse gifts, contributing big and small at various times, that the net outcome can be the accomplishments of wonderful, in fact, miraculous things in the life of those around us, our neighbors, our our friends, ourselves. not necessarily in spectacular ways like this, but certainly in ways that, added all together, are pretty significant. I mean, you think about the seven signs, and and in terms of people's need, these are seven one-off events, whereas Mountainside, over time, with our community, with lots of people, with lots of gifts, with big contributions and small contributions, can in fact make miraculous ministries, miraculous encounters with the worlds uh, around us, with the, the people in our neighborhoods. So the sign of God at work and the symbol of God's work now, at working as he did in the past, but also redemptive stories about people's lives now can be a part of what we do, that it, it's not a matter necessarily of the sort of speechless, miraculous, out of the ordinary things, but of the things that we can do in more ordinary ways.